Hi there, and welcome back to the SMB Cybercast podcast, where it's all about helping small and medium enterprises and IT professionals learn cybersecurity, improve their defenses, and prevent breaches. If you want to take the security of your organization to the next level, then this is the right place for you. Welcome, and thanks for listening. This show is sponsored by CyberX. CyberX is a cybersecurity agency that specializes in the needs of small and medium enterprises. We believe that everyone is at the risk of attack these days, and that's obvious from the increase in attacks across the board. So if your company needs help with compliance, security, managed security operations, penetration testing, vulnerability management, or any other security need, feel free to reach out to us. You can send us a message at cyberx.tech contact. That's cyberx.tech contact. All right, let's get back to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. It's been quite a while since we've been together. We've been super busy. Uh, we had the CCPA summit that we just completed. We had several speaking gigs where we were traveling and speaking. Uh, so we apologize for not being with you in a while. Um, but we're excited to be back with you today. So for today's podcast episode, we wanted to do a replay. Uh, many of you know that we just completed the CCPA Virtual Summit last week, where we had three days action-packed full of amazing speakers um, teaching you and organizations how to get ready for the um, California Consumer Privacy Act compliance that will be mandated starting next year. And... We had a great time with those speakers and all of our attendees learned a lot, but we wanted to replay one of our sessions that we thought might be appropriate for the podcast, where the CyberX team, we, um, we gave a talk on building security programs based on security frameworks. Um, because as you know, uh, one of the components of CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, is that if your organization is employing reasonable security, uh, your organization will be uh, exempt from the legal liabilities where your customers can sue you. Um, so without further ado, let's get to that recording so you can learn about that. Hello everyone and welcome back to the CCPA Summit. This is our final session for the summit and we from the Cyberx team are going to be talking to you about building cybersecurity programs um, based on uh, industry standard um, security frameworks. Um, we think that's very important, and we want to take this session to talk about that. Right. So we're right. going to go ahead and dive right in. Great. Uh, I think you know us from previous sessions. I'm William. I'm the co-founder of CyberX. And I'm Bill, and I'm the co-founder of um, CyberX as well. Where we offer cybersecurity services, including penetration testing, risk assessments, and we do a lot of work where we help small businesses build out cybersecurity programs within their budget, too. So there's several reasons why using a framework for your security program is so important. Um, maybe one of the most important is when it comes to demonstrating compliance. With these regulations like CCPA, um, we've seen this with HIPAA, uh, we see this with PCI, which is not necessarily regulation, but you get the idea. When the auditors or the inspectors come, the it's not like our legal system, you're innocent till proven guilty. It's actually the exact opposite in this right. case. Right. And you have to prove and be able to prove that you are complying with these regulations and, and um, standards. And one of the best ways to demonstrate your compliance is to show, look, we are using a 
industry recognized security um, framework, something like the NIST cybersecurity framework or one of those frameworks. And you can show, yes, we are aligning our security program with these frameworks. Right. So that's one of the first benefits of using a framework and a reason to. Um, number two is these frameworks are, what I like to say, are they're tried and true methods. Um, these are things that have been tested at other organizations and proven to be viable methods for stopping the attackers. Um, we know no security program is perfect and nothing is going to be able to stop every attacker, but it's a great approach to stop most attackers and to give your organization time to find the attackers who are in your, should compromise your organization. Right. Um, yes, these are methods that have been tried at other organizations. We find, um, they found which things work and which don't. Um, because when it comes to security, especially in the modern IT infrastructure, um, in the old days, way back when, um, the fortress and moat approach worked fine. Everything was inside, and you had a guard at the gate, and you had a moat around you, and that was your protection. The problem with infrastructure nowadays is it's so disjointed, if you will. Uh, you're using G Suite, you're using Google Cloud, you're using Office 365, you're using Outlook in the cloud, you're using maybe Microsoft Teams in the cloud. You've got all these places where your data is going, um, tools that your employees and vendors are using, um, and the moat approach doesn't work anymore. Right. And <clears throat> so back to what I'm saying is these frameworks account for this and give you some advice and tips on securing your organization in, uh, in those environments. Right. Another big plus for using a framework for building out your compliance programs is you get to control your budget. If you, when your organization goes to either vamp up, ramp up your security programs, or you go to implement a new, more robust security program, it costs money. Um, we know we need a layered approach. Um, one security control, this is where I was headed with the moat approach. One security control, it doesn't cut it. Uh, just a firewall at your uh, ISP connection isn't going to do it anymore. You need a firewall at the um, network's edge. You need a firewall um, within your micro segmentation, if your zones within your network, you need a firewall at the endpoints, and then all these other security layers in between. And those all cost money. Um, the, it's a hard fact, it costs money. And your company most likely doesn't have the budget to implement or the time or the manpower to implement everything right up at once, let alone the disruption it would cause to the rest of your organization. So when you use a framework like the NIST cybersecurity framework or like SIS 20, which we're going to get into a little more detail. When the auditors come and you don't have WX, Y, and Z controls in place, you can say, look, we're following this framework. We're rolling it out over a period of two, three years. This is our budget. And we've implemented A through U. And we're, we just had to get to, or V rather, and then we just had to get to W, X, Y, and Z, but we were working on it. Right. And you can prove that, yes, you were following a framework and you were taking security seriously. Um, <clears throat> another big reason that using a framework is super, super important is <clears throat> with these regulations, we've seen a lot of mentions recently about 
they say reasonable security. Right. We see that mentioned within the regulation <coughs> text. Um, with CCPA, for an example, um, if your organization is um, using encryption of data and reasonable security controls are in place, um, your organization could be exempted from some of those um, litigation from the end users. That's right. And um, in 2016, Kamala Harris, she is now a member of the U.S. Congress, <clears throat> she was the Attorney General of California, um, and there was a case that they heard, and her opinion in the ruling was that um, the, if an organization is following the CIS-20, the Center for Internet Security 20 controls, that was re exemplified reasonable security on their part. Um, so we see that following a framework sets you up to um, have, be following reasonable security. And then should you have run into trouble, you have a data breach and an investigation, you can prove, yes, we have reasonable security controls. We were trying our best. Right. And with the reasonable security, like William was mentioning, there's been a lot of talk about that throughout the about the seminar, about the summit that you've been viewing. And reasonable, reasonable security measures, you don't want to leave that for open for interpretation or subjective to what you may think or versus what somebody else think. Follow a tried and true pattern that's already a best practice that's in standard. Any one of these frameworks, the SIS-20, the NIST, uh, you want to don't want to leave that up to to be subjective again for judgment, your judgment, someone else's judgment. Follow a, a, a template that's already out there. And again, reiterating that that case right there where a reasonable security control was the SIS-20. So that's your plan right there. You should you know follow, get a get a template in place. It gives you hard evidence that right. you are actually taking security very seriously. <clears throat> and then another um, part of these frameworks that we see a lot of organizations miss and get wrong um, is risk management and risk assessments. Um, we, we like a risk-based approach to cybersecurity. Um, in my opinion, that's the only way to do cybersecurity. Right. Um, no organization has the budget, unless you're the NSA or somebody of that nature, to roll out a full-blown cybersecurity program all at once right. and to implement all the controls you need right up front. You're going to have to start with what's most pressing and build on that. And that's where a risk assessment is so vital and so important. Your organization, if you don't know what a risk assessment is, this is a super high level overview. But essentially, you look at your organization, you look at the threats that it faces, um, you look at your systems, what are the weaknesses that those threats could exploit, and what is the risk of that happening. Right. And then you wait or you give up some kind of quantity or priority to which ones are more important. And then you build your security program off of that. You attack those most cr um, crucial vulnerabilities or risk to your organization first. Right. And that is really the, the best way to do security. And we see all of these frameworks. They, they all talk about a risk assessment. That's the starting point for your security program. Um, so when you're dealing with risk management, there's a few phases. Um, first, you have to identify. Like we said, you have to identify the risk. Um, an example I give sometimes is if I have a building in California, there is a risk of an earthquake, right? Right, right. Now, if I, if my building is in Kansas, there's a risk of an earthquake, right? Sure. I mean, theoretically, it <laughs> could happen somehow. But the likelihood of that happening is so much lower. That's not a priority for me in Kansas. Now, if I'm in California, yeah, that's something I need to really think about. Right. So you have to identify those risks. We want to analyze the risk, like we just talked about. Is it, how serious is that for me? 
And then based on how serious it is, we evaluate or rank it. So if I'm in California um, and I'm working on an incident response plan, earthquakes, yeah, that's probably going to make it pretty high on my list for how to develop an incident response plan for a natural disaster of that nature. Um, now, if I'm building the same incident response plan for an organization in Kansas, uh, that's going to be way lower on my list, probably not even something I plan for. And then once you've evaluated the risk, all right, so then we treat the risk. And there's a few ways that we can handle risks. We can accept the risk. That's pretty simple. We can mitigate the risk by applying a control to um, reduce the risk of that or reduce the impact that it has on the organization. Uh, we can transfer risk. Um, a great example of this is insurance. Um, that's essentially all insurance is, is you're transferring the risk to another organization. You pay them a premium. And should this incident happen, they give you the money and they accept the risk. Um, and then we can accept, accept the risk, just we're going to accept it for how it is. Um, another thing I think is important to touch on with these frameworks is what we in security often refer to as the CIA triad. Um, this stands for confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And these are essentially the three, um, three main components of a cybersecurity program. This is what we want to keep data private confidential. Um, we want to make sure that it's available. We want it to always be there. That's why we have failovers and backups, mm -hmm. uh, recovery plans. And then we want integrity. We want to be sure that the data has not been altered in any way. Right. Um, this, imagine a doctor's office with a, um, electronic health records. And if they believe that their health records have been altered by an attacker, um, going after someone wanting to give them um, the wrong treatment, uh, they have a big problem on their hands. So those are the three components of cybersecurity, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And what we see so often is organizations focus on one or two of these components saying this part, um, say they're focused on confidentiality and integrity, but yet they forget about having backups and the availability that's part. Right. Um, so that's another reason why using a standard framework is so important and it, it's so beneficial is it, it, it ensures that you spread your security program over all of these components. Right. And it gives you an honest look at your infrastructure to see where you really are stacked against uh, an attacker coming in. So it's, it's a real good way to just look at, you know, where your vulnerabilities lay. So there's standard security controls that your organization can implement. Um, and when you're looking at these frameworks, so often what you're going to want to do is do a gap assessment. Look at the standard control that's in the framework. So say the framework is talking about edge firewalls. So, um, or let's take PCI for example. It's got a section about firewalls uh, and what how it should be configured. Um, so a gap assessment is essentially we're going to look at this control and we're going to look at what we have in place and look at what's the difference. What is the gap in our control and what, what it should be. And then based on a gap assessment, um, you can come up with a plan of action to rectify that. So now we're going to dig into some of the various frameworks <clears throat> that you can use. Um, we're going to spend a lot of time going through SIS 20 in detail um, because that works so well and it's so um, easy for especially small businesses to understand. All right, let's start by talking about the NIST cybersecurity framework. Um, now NIST, N-I-S-T, is the National Institute for Standards and Technology. And um, long story short, um, NIST was formed shortly after World War II. And the government wanted a body that governed our standards, 
measurements, those kinds of things. And that's when NIST was founded and it since has grown into many, many areas of society, including cybersecurity. Um, and they set all of these standards for the other government organizations to follow. <coughs> um, so the NIST cybersecurity framework, like many of these frameworks that we're going to talk about, are broken into, um, you can look at it, you can call it tiers, um, you can call it different levels, um, but they're meant to be flexible. Um, an organization with five employees, maybe let's say a dentist office, a dentist and five employees, they're going to need a much, much different cybersecurity program. They still need one. Uh, that's important. They still need cybersecurity program, but their program is going to look a ton different than, um, say, a huge uh, media broadcast company, a right. news organization. What they their needs are completely different, and these frameworks take this into consideration, and they um, they build the cybersecurity controls in levels or tiers, however you want to call that. Uh, and the NIST cybersecurity framework is the exact same way. There's three tiers of controls, um, and there is essentially five functions that we're that the framework looks to um, implement. Right. And those five functions um, start with identify um, to identify the risk that's that you may come across in your network. Um, the second one would be to detect. Um, that's the second step in this process. The third one would be, would be then to protect um, your systems and your infrastructure against those threats. Um, the next one would be to respond. How are you going to respond to what you've detected in your network? Um, how are you going to react? What are you going to do? Um, and there's controls in place for that and, and steps that you can follow. And lastly, how are you going to recover when something like this happens? And again, those could form many different ways how you can recover. Um, if there's um, shareholders or uh, other people that you need to involve in, um, uh, stockholders, or whatever the case may be, how are you going to recover from this, whether it's going to be backups or another um, redundant system or so forth? So those are the five steps within the NIST cybersecurity framework. And so those are... Those are the main five, but each of those five are also broken into subcategories. And we see security controls within each of those categories. And those are also in a tiered um, setup. Right. So how a, that dentist office we just talked about, how they identify um, risk or threats or um, assets within an organization is going to be completely different than how um, the large uh, media broadcast company does. And this takes that into account. It's a very, very good program. A lot of our... Um, consulting clients use it. Um, overseas clients use it. It's globally recognized to be um, a robust, robust system. Um, another framework that you can look at is called the HICP, the Health Industry Cybersecurity Practices. Um, that was released by HHS, the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, I believe it was last year, 2018. They released that uh, November 2018, somewhere around there. And that's a great um, bullet list, uh, I guess you could call it, of here's the controls your organization should be putting in place. And it's broken into two tiers, one for small organizations um, and one for medium and large organizations. And wherever you are in your security journey at your organization or your privacy compliance programs, these frameworks can be a great way to measure yourself up. Mm -hmm. um, if you realize that your organization has not put enough effort into cybersecurity, take one of these controls and start with the basic level 
get that implemented, and then look where you need to grow from there. Right. Um, and the HICP, the Health Industry Cybersecurity Practices, is a great, um, another great resource. Right. Uh, the first portion of that one, the uh, technical volume one, focuses on cybersecurity practices for small practices um, and small healthcare uh, facilities. Whereas the second part focuses on medium and large um, healthcare organizations. So wherever you fit into those two tiers or those two volumes, um, it, it's laid out for you which, you which one you can use, depending on your size and your organization. So it's a um, it's a, a practice for everyone to, to follow. Uh, um, PCI, the Payment Card Industry Standards. Uh, well, that's not necessarily a framework, but they do have a <clears throat> security roadmap. Um, there's the ten pillars of PCI. Um, that's a great resource to look at. Um, I personally don't know that I build my security program off of it. Um, I'd probably choose one of these other frameworks that are more universal. But it is a uh, standard that you can look at for ideas of the types of controls that you should be implementing. That's correct. Um, another uh, framework that we have is High Trust, High Trust Security Controls. Uh, High Trust stands for Health Information Trust Alliance. And actually, High Trust um, was actually rolled out by a, a privately held company located in Texas. And what High Trust is, it's a calibration between healthcare technology information security leaders. Um, and established the HITRUST CSF framework. Uh, and again, another a lot of other controls that for health organizations they can use to build their security framework um, around this particular standard. And there's also a certification in HITRUST that um, your IT uh, leaders can go through to be certified in this particular framework. Um, and they have a great resource, the HITRUST um, uh, regulation mapping. Um, it's an Excel spreadsheet that you can download. And it breaks down quite a few cybersecurity controls, and then it gives you a cross-reference of um, various regulations and other frameworks, and whether which ones, which frameworks suggest which security controls. It's a great resource to have. Right. Especially if you're trying to be compliant with, say, GDPR and CCPA, you can look at those controls um, across the board. Um, then we have, there's various, many, many standards you can use. We have COBIT, um, which, isn't as mentioned in the security world. Um, COBIT stands for Control Objectives for Information and Related Technology. Um, it's a framework created by the um, ISACA, Information Security Audit and Control Association, for IT governance and management. So more on the IT governance and management side. Um, it's a framework, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's globally used by IT managers and equips their teams to deliver um, best practices to their infrastructure and their organizations. And then another very well-known um, standards are the ISO standards. Um, the ISO standards are not free. You do have to pay to get them. Um, but the ISO 27001 with cybersecurity is very well-known. Um, they have standards across many, many industries. Um, but again, if you're looking for a framework to pattern your security program after, that is another one you can use. So now, we're going to dive into the SIS-20 a little in a little deeper and talk about some of the controls that are implemented to help you get an idea of how these frameworks work. Um, we find the SIS-20 to be a great program for small organizations and even for large organizations that are just um, beginning or trying to increase their um, cybersecurity program awareness or programs at their organizations. Um, this is a great measuring stick. Um, right. And then you can move from here into something a little more detail like NIST. Right. 
So the SIS-20 is broken into three tiers. We have basic controls. In the second tier, we have foundational controls. And in the third tier, we have what's called organizational controls. These are slightly more advanced where things that are maybe not a security control, but there's something your organization should be doing to improve cybersecurity and awareness at your organization. Right, right. So, so we're going to start with the basic controls. And the first control is, I find very interesting, the inventory and the control of hardware assets. And that is the cornerstone and foundation of cybersecurity at your organization. If you don't know what is on your network, you don't know what you are responsible for securing and controlling, you can't build a security program. That's correct. And that is number one on the SIS-20. That's correct. And right with it is number two, the having an inventory and the control of software assets, which is equally vitally important. Um, if you're trying to implement patch management, uh, reduce vulnerabilities, outdated software, you have to know what software is on the systems, on the hardware, on your network. Um, the third control under SIS-20 is continuous vulnerability management. Many organizations, I guess we keep stressing it, they build out security programs. They, have, they want a firewall. Um, they got a SIM, security incident event management system set up where they can analyze logs. Um, and all those things are important, but you have to take a higher level view and look at what are the vulnerabilities in my organization. And this kind of goes along with that risk assessment. That's correct. And as it says, it's continuous. So you're always modeling your network to see what your vulnerabilities may be and where they lie. So once you get everything, your controls in place, and you, you think you have it tweaked, you're going to go through continuously and look at for vulnerabilities across your network. And that's how you're going to stay in front of the, of the bad guys, more, you know, so to speak. Um, it's continuously scanning your network, looking at your network, looking for possible vulnerabilities. And running vulnerability scans like this help you with your hardware asset inventories, your software asset inventories. And they're a very important part of your security program. You have to know your weaknesses so you can secure them. That's correct. Um, the next control in the basic tier is the control use administrative privileges. We see so many organizations making this mistake. Um, when you set up a computer, if you use the local account, the first account you set up, that is your a what's called an admin on that computer. Um, and you have administrative access to that computer. You can do anything. Uh, if you work at a corporate environment, you probably are familiar with not working as an admin. You work as a regular user. When you want to install a new software, you want to make certain configuration changes, it brings up that um, UAC prompt where yep. you have to put in an admin username and password to get be, get permission to do that. In many small businesses especially, but we see this with large organizations occasionally, all too often, they don't um, control that administrative use. Well, sure, there are ways that attackers can bypass that, but that will stop a lot of attacks if you control that use. Uh, for an example, a user clicks a link in an email that downloads a script to start running. If they're not an admin, that script most likely will not run. That's correct. So that can save you a lot. That's correct. And again, in smaller businesses, we find this a lot because in larger organizations, they may have an active directory where they can roll out admins and user permissions, whereas in smaller organizations, they may not have that privilege. And like William said, when you set up a, a computer, your IT admin set up a computer, the, by default, it's the admin uh, credentials and ad, admin permissions. So there's a lot of things that a user can do, not purposely, but inadvertently, 
to download something, some malicious software or malware on that computer that can compromise your network. So looking at your security um, permissions and your um, <laughs> looking at your security permissions um, on an individual basis on those PCs and small organizations is vital. It's critical. So the best practice is set up a low-level access account, work in that account, and when you need to install something, either switch to the admin account or put in those admin credentials to allow you to do it. Okay, the next control is securing a, having a secure configuration for your hardware, software, on your mobile devices, your laptops, workstations, and servers. You want a measuring stick for your baseline configurations that you know when we build a new computer, these are the security controls we implement. We, we turn the firewall on, we block this port and that port, we allow this port because we need it for this use case. Um, but having a standard, so you're not having you're not approaching this in an ad hoc way. That's correct. You've got one computer configured one way, another computer configured another way, and if your computers are like this, most likely your entire security program is like this, unfortunately, and an attacker is going to have a heyday on your network. That's correct. And one key thing I want to bring out, which you mentioned, is ad hoc, and that's the number one hole right there for as we've as you've listened to a lot of the speakers in this summit. Um, talk about as far as how you have to do your data mapping, how you have to um, find out where all your information is stored. When you have a network that's, quote, ad hoc, that opens the door wide open for vulnerabilities to happen, for attackers to come in. If you have this set standard like he's speaking about on this particular level, that cuts that, cuts that off right there. You have to have a set measurement or set guide to go by. I mean, a great example of this was the Equifax data breach. Um, and with their version of the story, I'll say... Um, was when the patch came out for the Struts vulnerability in Apache, or Apache 2. Um, what happened? An email got sent out with the, the announcement that that patch needed to be implemented. Um, there was no project champion. There was no project manager to be sure that that was done. Um, the, the, they were approaching it, that in an ad hoc manner. And because of that, we all know what happened. The consequences, the attackers got in, and you know the rest of the story. Right. The final security control under the basic controls is maintenance, monitoring, and analysis of audit logs. And this is a great control to help you identify when attacks are happening. Um, many organizations we see, they've got security controls in place, they have alarms set up for these things, but nobody's looking at it. If no one's looking at it, it does you no good. Um, so this is where a SIM comes into place or um, threat analysis tools that are looking at what's going on in your logs and they can uh, they can make the connections between event a on this computer and event b on this other computer and they can make the connection of those attacks that are happening right um, because it's impossible for any organization i don't care how small you are, if you've got one computer it's impossible for you to go through those logs every day and look for security events um, so getting a tool to automate that is super important and the mistake we see when we're doing a penetration test or we're working on a purple team engagement, many times organizations have these tools set up, they have them in place, but they don't have alarms set up. Um, say I come in the organization and I start doing a Kerberost attack um, where I'm trying to get uh, a golden ticket via service counter or whatever. Um, they've got the log to show it happened, but they don't have an alarm set up. Hey, this happened. You might want to look into this. Right. 
something that correlates with that. And even larger organizations, begin to go probe your IT people. If you don't have a policy in place, which we hope you do, but if you don't have one, begin to talk to your IT staff about the logs. How, how often are they being analyzed? How often are they being looked at? Yeah, find password spraying your network. Um, if your SIM sees the same password being used across multiple computers, um, that should set an alarm off. It, it does no good for your security team um, to go back retrospectively and look through the logs and see, oh, yeah, they did this. Right. Set up those alarms to start tripping. And there's many ways to do that. So. Right. All right, next here in the SIS 20 is the foundational controls. Um, we have email and web protections, super, super important. Uh, set up an email security gateway, filter those emails. Um, they can run them through sandboxes, um, test the, the documents or whatever that are attached. Now, there are ways around that for attackers, but that's gonna stop the majority of attackers. That's correct. Then you want web protections. That's super, super important. Um, there's tons of malicious content on the web. I saw a statistic recently that somewhere around 40% of links in social media were malicious. So mm -hmm. having these web protections on your devices is super important. And then you want malware defenses, endpoint protection. Um, you want the limitation and control of network ports and protocols and services. If I walk in your organization, I should not be able to plug an ethernet port into any open port and get full-blown network access. That should be limited and controlled. Um, and if you... If you do implement a NAC, network access control, be sure that you've covered all your ports. Um, most penetration tests we do, if um, the physical assessment is in it, we usually find a couple ports somewhere that were uh, that port was left open for configuring new workstations that, and it had access to every VLAN on the network, every gate, every um, network zone. Yeah. Fine. Those little mistakes like that can get you in big, big trouble. Ports were left open for software that no longer uses those ports, things like that. That's where your change management process comes into place. That's right. When you introduce a new software or a new protocol or service, document that change, what it's for, and then when you retire that software, go back to your documentation close and it close it out. Um, next control is data recovery capabilities. Super, um, super important. I hate to say it, but we all know it. It's not a matter of if, it's when something right. happens to your organization. And what is your mean time to recovery? What is the, the uh, least amount of time your organization can be down before it actually starts doing serious financial damage to your organization? That's really what IT and security is about. IT is helping the organization make money. That's security correct. is helping the organization stay secure so they continue to make money. That's correct. And that's our jobs in the IT field. And we have to be able to, our systems go down, something fails, we need to have a recovery option to bring the company back on that they continue functioning, doing their job, and making money. That's correct. And then, just like we have those secure configurations for um, endpoints, workstations, laptops, mobile devices, we want secure configurations for our network devices, routers, firewalls, switches. Um, don't leave default credentials. Um, those kinds of things. Do we have a uh, firewall baseline that we use when we roll out a new firewall, we set these configurations. Those are all super important. And then, of course, you want your boundary defenses. Setting up zones within your network. Um, all right, so say you're a manufacturing organization, you've got robots out in the production area, and you've got office workspace with printers. Um, your office workers, they probably shouldn't be on the same flat network as your robots. Start segmenting that out and put boundary defenses between those zones um, and only allow what's necessary 
to pass through. Right. Um, that's getting sort of into a segmentation <clears throat> approach, which is super, super important for your security. Um, <clears throat> and then we want data protection. Uh, one of the most prevalent ways we see data protection is encryption. And we see this with the California Consumer Privacy Act, CCPA. Um, if your organization is employing encryption methods for the data, you will be, um, you won't have those at risk of litigation if you can prove the data was encrypted. And we've seen some these similar standards with HIPAA for quite a while now. Controlled access based on a need to know at your organization. That's super important. Everyone does not need access to everything. Right. Uh, insider threats are a huge attack vector and growing. Start limiting control on your network on a need to know basis. Uh, it's not that you don't trust your employees necessarily, although we don't trust them, but when an attack happens, say you get ransomware, um, the employee, if their access is limited, you can stop the spread of those time, those kinds of things. That's correct. And then you want wireless access control. Be sure your Wi-Fi networks are secured. Um, best practices use a um, 802, uh, something like 802.1x security controls, some kind of authentication to get on the network. Uh, you can use um, certificates, you can use credentials, you can just use one credential, but be sure that your Wi-Fi is secured, your wireless networks are secure, and that you are monitoring them. And the final tier under SIS 20 is we have organizational controls. Uh, and of course, you need things like policies and procedures, but you need a security awareness training program. Um, this is one of the most important, in my opinion, security controls you can implement. That's correct. And what we see a lot is security may be touched on or it may be the big thing for the moment, but afterwards when everything dies down and the the normal procedures go back in place or the everyday business, the day-to-day busyness happen, security is put on the back burner when it should not be. It should be on the first and frontmost of everything that you do. Keep security awareness training live for your employees. Um, continuously have and implement a security awareness training. Teach them what phishing attacks are. Teach them what uh, malicious websites may look like or uh, fake emails, things along those lines. There's a lot of different security programs out there, uh, a lot of different trainings. Uh, find one for your organization and please implement that because that's one of the biggest areas where malicious um, attacks come from is in users through social engineering. So use a um, implement a security awareness training and, and use it and keep it fresh, keep it live and keep it going. Um, I saw a statistic recently that something like 97% of attacks, cyber attacks involve a human error of some kind, uh, phishing or someone did something wrong, something of that nature. So especially if you're on a limited cybersecurity budget, um, security awareness training can be a huge asset. You know, so many times we hear security people, especially, talk about the humans as being the biggest problem in your organization. My opinion <clears> is <throat> humans can be your biggest asset for your security, um, especially if you're on a stretched budget and you don't have a lot of money to put in your security program. Start with security awareness training. Train your employees what to look for, and they can become your eyes and ears on the ground. That's correct. To give you those early, early warnings of things that are happening. That's correct. Um, then we have application software security. Um, if your organization is developing its own application software, you want to be sure that you are checking for bugs and vulnerabilities. 
Um, you've got a secure development lifecycle implemented where you handle that. Um, then you're going to want an incident response management plan like we touched on previously. It's not a matter of if. You need to be able to respond to an incident. And when that incident happens, you, you wouldn't believe right now, but when you're in the middle of the incident, a lot of times the way you should respond, if it's not down on paper, you may forget a step or two. And it's important how you respond to an incident. So that's why it's very key to have an incident response um, and management program in place. And have it on paper. If your systems go down, the whole system crashes, you're out of power, it does no good that that um, incident response plan is on on the server accessible to everybody. Right. You're not going to be able to get to it. Have it printed. Maybe have it in a few locations with maybe an emergency kit. Maybe you have things like flashlights, battery packs, those kinds of tools in there. Uh, call list. So you can start calling up people to get them to come in. Um, think, sit down, think through various incident scenarios and plan for them accordingly. And make sure everyone who is a part of your incident response team knows it. Um, and they know what their job is. That's correct. And then finally, <clears throat> the final control under the SIS-20 is penetration testing and red team exercises. And that's where, plug for CyberX, our organization, that's where organizations <laughs> like us come into place, where we can help you test your security controls. Uh, once you've implemented a security framework, well, we come in, penetration testers, they come in, and they test your systems to help you find additional vulnerabilities or weaknesses or ways that attackers could get in. That's correct. And... And all this is key in building your organization and being safe. Again, as you've heard from a lot of the speakers in this summit, um, what the CCPA um, is coming down to is um, there is a lot of places in your organization and networks that have not been touched before. So there's controls that need to be implemented. Um, there's things that need to be looked at that have not been looked at before. And that's where all of these frameworks will come into play. Um, we, again, stress you choose one and work with it in your organization. And get it implemented. Get your staff involved. Get your people involved. And be secure. So in wrapping up, we've gone through several frameworks. We've given you some examples. we talked about various controls. Now I want to spend a little bit of time talking about maybe some real-world examples of this um, and reasons why this is super important. And I think OCR and... The HIPAA regulation is probably one of the cases where we've seen enforcement of a privacy and security program the most by the government. And we've seen it some with the SEC and public companies, um, but we really see this with HHS and OCR. And every time there's an incident and they investigate, um, we often hear about the fines and you hear about a $20 million fine or the small organization that they just announced with a $10,000 fine for a social media violation. But what you don't hear about is the investigation. When those auditors come, they're looking at your security program and they're measuring up against the controls. And they want to see that you have, you're taking security seriously. Um, and one of the, like we said earlier, one of the best ways to do that is to show, yes, we are following an industry standard framework. We understand security is important and this is what we're doing. And if you don't have your entire security program implemented right up front, write it down. Um, create a project roadmap or timeline. And then when this, should an incident occur and the um, auditors come looking, you can show, yes, we're at this point and this is where we're headed. Um, we may not have control X implemented right now, but within five months, we plan to roll that out. When they come in to investigate, 
the burden of proof is on you. Um, and that's a super, super important concept to understand. They're not coming in with the assumption that you're taking security seriously and you're doing things right. They come in with the assumption that you're not taking security seriously right. and they want you to prove that you actually are. That's correct. And documentation is a huge, huge part of this. That's correct. Um, do not overlook documentation. <clears throat> Document the reasons why you made a choice. Document your risk assessment. When you did it, what vulnerabilities and the risk you found, what steps you're going to take to remediate them. Um, we see that with OCR investigations. So many times organizations have a risk assessment two years ago, but they've done nothing to improve it. And organizations like this end up on what we, they call corrective action plans, where they have the government monitoring your security program at a pace that's not nice for two, three years. And they're breathing down your backs, essentially, making sure that you're doing security, taking the security seriously. And believe me, it's not fun. Right, right. And documentation is super, super important. Um, like we said, document your risk assessments. Um, when you do audits, document that. Um, when you, you have, have a change management process, when you introduce a new software, um, have you looked at that software, the risk it introduces? Do you have controls to mitigate those risks? How are you dealing with that? Um, that documentation is super, super important. Um, so that's that's an overview of using cybersecurity frameworks. Um, and a lot of things that we've covered, the majority of the frameworks that we've have covered actually are free. Um, there's a lot of information out there and it's at no cost. You can go to any of the organizations that we talked about and download this material and begin to implement in your network. The only thing that's costing you is your time. And um, actually, that's a small investment versus what could happen if you don't have any one of these in place. Yeah, my personal opinion is CCPA is going to, I think it's going to be looked at in five to 10 years as a change in the way things are done in the industry. I agree. Um, because of the litigation and those risks financially that it does bring in. Um, I think it's going to really change the way things are done. And we know more regulations are coming. So begin implementing these programs at your organization. And if your organization needs help with your cybersecurity programs, um, there's plenty of places to help, but we'll, we'll help you. Um, CyberX, www.cyberx.tech. The link will be underneath the video. Um, we'll help you. We'll help you with your risk assessments, gap assessments, figuring out where you need to take your security program if you want testing. We're here to help you, and there's plenty of organizations where you are around the country, around the world, to help you with your security programs. That's right. So that's it for building cybersecurity programs that are based on standard frameworks. Thank you for listening. Thank you. And that's the SMB Cybercast podcast. Thank you again for listening. Please check out our other white papers, roadmaps, and webcasts at www.cyberx.tech/resources and our blog at www.cyberx.tech/blog. We have lots of guides and roadmaps to help you improve your cybersecurity program. Go check us out, and we'll see you next episode.